Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Good Humans Podcast with me, Cooper Chapman, chatting to the world's best about the inspiring stories that got them to where they are today. What's going on, you good humans? Welcome to a very special episode of Good Humans Podcast with Dean Lucas. Dean is one of my best friends, we've only been friends for about a year though, and I was fascinated getting to know his story. He's a seriously insightful guy with a lot to tell. A big thank you, as always, to our sponsors, Drink A Rapper. These guys are the biggest legends ever. I'm actually in Bali right now at my retreat, and I've brought my capsules over here with me and far out. They are so, so helpful. Short-term brain performance, long-term brain health, all neuroscience backed, which, yeah, just really goes align with... What really matters to me, and that's having proof that our stuff works. So big thanks to Drink Rapper for continuing to sponsor these podcasts. If you want to check out their products, learn about the science, head over to their website, drinkarepper.com, and use the code GOODHUMAN for a massive 25% off all of their items. Keep using that code. Keep grabbing stuff that's good for your brain, and yeah, keep taking care of yourself. Big thanks, as always, to a rapper. And if it's your first time here today or if you have been enjoying this podcast, do me a massive favor. This is the smallest little gesture that you can do for me if you get value out of these episodes. Give us a five-star rating, click follow or subscribe, one of the two, and make sure you just tell a friend. If you enjoyed the episode and learned something, be like, hey, check this podcast out. You might learn something. The best thing we can do for our mates is send on stuff that we get value from and hopefully they get some value from it too. So thanks to everyone who continues to support this podcast. It's my absolute honor to get to have these conversations and to get to share them with you is so so special all right today's episode dean lucas far out this guy is one of the best mountain bike riders in the world he races downhill goes faster than you've ever want to go on a push bike let alone over rocks and roots and jumps and all the in between um yeah it's absolutely wild what this guy does but this episode's um a bit deeper than that far deeper than that actually he goes on to talk about during his childhood um Actually, I guess trigger warning, if anyone is suffering with um, really poor mental health right now, make sure you call Lifeline 13 11 14 if you're in crisis. Um, but yeah, there is some mentions of suicide in this story. Dean talks about the fact um, he had a suicide attempt when he was younger, when he was about 10 years old, which is super heavy, but it really sets up the scene for the life that he's lived, the turnaround that he had, and yeah, the incredible, incredible things he's done. But yeah, this story is going to blow your mind. His childhood, his dad built a helicopter. I was blown away hearing that. So bloody cool. Um, his dad was an inventor and taught him some amazing skills from a young age. Struggled through primary school, moved to a different high school, found the love for mountain bike riding, and yeah, his life's been pretty incredible ever since. There's been some ups and downs. There's been some, yeah, internal battles that he's dealt with, just like all of us, um, and just like a lot of uh, top-level athletes. So I love getting to know Dean a bit better. As I said, he's one of my best mates. Um, I didn't know a lot about this story, so I learned along with you guys listening today. 
make sure if you enjoy it, send it on to a friend, share it on your Instagram story. It does so much for us and it does so much for the algorithm. If you enjoyed the story as well, make sure you send Dean a message. Tell him what you've been affected by his story. Let him know that you had um, yeah, some impact from his words because it means so much to not only me, but to all of my guests when you reach out to them and let them know that you got some benefit from it. So thanks to everyone who continues to tune in. Let's get straight into today's episode. Welcome to Good Humans Podcast, Dean Lucas. Hey, going, brother? Good, man. Good to finally jump on board. We've been talking about this for a while now. I it's know. one of those things when you've got like a close friend, it's just like, yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, we'll do it later. We'll do it next week. And it just, yeah, we got here now. And here we are. And I did not expect it to be today. You um, Literally yesterday, I, was, I got home from a meeting and I saw a bike ride down my side passage. Mm. And I looked at Carol, my partner, and I just walked in the door. I was like, is someone dropping a bike off for you? And she's like, nah. And walked out the door and it was you. And I thought you were in Europe. And you're like, no, nah, I'm home for a few weeks. And I was just riding past. So I thought I'd pop in. And I was like, how are you? I thought it was funny because I was going to send you a message. I rode out to the spit and then I was going to come back and I was going to message you or call you and be like, oh, are you home? And actually, like, I'm still like halfway through unpacking all my stuff. And I was like, oh, no, I should probably get home and do it. And then as I was riding past, I saw you like walk in. And I was like, oh, that's a sign. we got to pop in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, today's all about your story. I think I'm going to start with how we met. I think it's a, a pretty interesting story. So one of my um, very close friends, who's also good friends with you, Sam Moore, um, who owns Fist Handwear, shout out to Fist. I've done a bunch of work with them. We've got a good human glove. We've got good human towels with dry times. Anyway, so I was talking to Sam and he's like, man, you've got a, I've got a friend, of this guy that's just moved up from Melbourne who's a pro mountain bike rider. His name's Dean. Lucas, you fuck, you guys will get along really well. He was like, I just know people and you guys are going to get along well. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, what's his Instagram? And he's like, oh, it's Dinos Mykonos. And I was like, oh, I literally reshared one of his videos this morning. Or he reshared one yeah. of my videos this morning. Yeah. And I was like, no way. And then he's like, oh, he's actually coming in the office in like 10 minutes. And then like I met you like 10 minutes later and we've been <laughs> good mates ever since. Um, what's your memory of that day? Kind of similar because I... I'd kind of like heard of you through like the same kind of like friends, like through Sam and a few other guys and like didn't know who you really were, but like, I think you shared like the video that I reshared, you posted something about being a pro athlete and your value getting put in that. And I saw that and I was like, you know, when someone speaks your thoughts mm. and I was like, okay, I can relate to that on so many different levels. So I'm like, I'll share it. I had no idea that you were working out of the fist office, like no clue at all. So then when I got there, it was just kind of like, like, dude, like, fate and the universe and everything brings everyone together for the right reasons. But it was just weird the fact that I got there, met you, and then chatted with you. And then, like, I think when we did our podcast, like, I, you're probably the closest person I know that has lived my life through surfing. <laughs> a different sport. And I've lived your life through mountain biking. Even just in, yeah, so many different levels, it's been so similar. Mm. So then to meet you in that weird way of like sharing something and then meeting you the next day and then just yeah connecting and being friends it's a weird thing how stuff happens but no it was a cool way to meet someone that way and then obviously like you harry Corey, like all those similar kind of things like being really good at something but then also being individually like very much yourself i think it's kind of cool and since coming up here like you meet more people like that so yeah it's funny we're talking about that yesterday the fact that although we've all somewhat been quite high achievers in our chosen sport. For instance, like Corey Tunison with wakeboarding, current world champ, Harley, mm. Clifford, eight-time world champ, Harry Bink, world mm. champ, motocross rider. you one of the top mountain bike riders in the world. Me, tried to get there in surfing. But what we were talking about yesterday, and I think, and we, we talk about this all the time, is the fact that 
I feel like I've never really fit into the surf industry. I feel like mm. I've, I love my sport and I love trying to be really good at it and the chasing of excellence. But I feel like now that I'm outside of surfing that and I've become friends with all of you guys, it's like I never really had my tribe. I had amazing friends and beautiful people that I absolutely love, but I hadn't found people that really think on the same wavelength. And I feel like we found that on the Goldie at the moment. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Like I don't see myself as a, as a mountain biker. And I don't think you like obviously surfing something you do, mountain biking something I do. But if you like, it was funny when we, we were down in Sydney for the good yeah for the human kind of human kind event, and it was just funny because you introduced me as like oh this is Dean he's the pro mountain biker, and suddenly in my head I just think like I wonder what this guy how he thinks I am because mm. I don't really even though I do that thing, and I guess it's like a way of like showing that oh you're really good at something it kind of yeah it's weird how we introduce people about that and like I. I mean, somewhat apologize, but also no, like, no, it's, a, no. it's a good way to like... I don't think it's a bad thing, but it's just like, it makes me think, I'm like, well, who do you think I am? Because yeah. like straight away, you're like, oh, he's a pro mountain biker. It's like, you think I'm a pro mountain biker. And I don't really feel like I identify as mm. a pro mountain biker. Like if I meet people outside of the cycling world or whatever, I never go up to someone and go, oh, I'm like a pro yeah, mountain yeah. biker. I just, and I kind of try and undersell it as well. Because mm. I think as well, when you get good at something, people treat you differently because of you're good at something Mm. which can be seen as like a good and a bad thing but i'd rather meet someone and they take me on like face value and who they think i am Mm. as a person and that's how they treat me and then later on they'd be like oh he's actually because like i've met like i travel in my van a lot and i'll always meet people like van lifing and in random locations and i'll chat with them and i won't really say what i do or just like i'm they probably just think Mm. i'm a guy that lives in a van and travels around and they'll like really connect with you and be really lovely people and then afterwards they'll be like oh like like, or they'll follow me on instagram or something and be like oh you got these followers like oh shit like what do you kind of do i'm like i race mountain bikes but i like that to come after the initial meeting and i think that's like what you were saying about the guys up here like we're all individually ourselves and like we do with something and we got really good at it but that doesn't really no one talks about it or cares about each other's achievements or results no it doesn't matter yeah like i don't surfing's cool but i don't care about yeah. surfing and same as you don't care about like freestyle motocross it's like it's cool that harry does that yeah but it's not like we hang out and fanboy each other mm. and i think that's such a nice way to be mm. like you're proud of your friends but you're not yeah. like oh my god like you slap that lip on that wave or you race that mountain bike really fast it's like yeah. a cool thing but i think sometimes people get too caught up in like, oh, you're good at that thing, so they idolize you and mm. they treat you differently because of it. I just yeah. don't think that's a healthy relationship to have with people. Like, yeah. I always say to people, like, be a fan, but don't be a super fan. Like, just... Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> Appreciate, but don't admire. Yeah. I don't know if, like, that doesn't really make sense. But, <laughs> man, we're going to just continue to chat forever. This is, like, the longest, like, oh, it's intro gonna, little wiggle it's that gonna I've ever take had. Some, yeah, it's going to take two But we're going to take some chops and churns. But how I open all my podcasts, um, firstly, is an Arepa Cheers. You've had some Arepa before. Um, you spend a bit of time at my place, so I always give you some of this stuff. You know how good this is for your brain. Mm. We're going to crack it open. We're going to do a little cheers, and we're going to get into the chat. So big thanks to a rapper, as always, for supporting the pod, for supporting our brains, and yeah, giving us some clarity cheers. for while we chat for an hour. Oh, that stuff's so good. It's like a hug from your mum, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Delicious. So yum. And healthy. We love that. Um, then the question I do open every podcast with um, is what are you grateful for today right now what am I grateful for right now I think just to 
big question to start it off, isn't it? It's like, because I don't want to just be like, just, I, I know, just the, like the simple stuff. Hey, like this morning I got up and went for a walk on the beach with my girlfriend and just like, just that felt like just, just simply just going for a walk on the beach and not really, I don't know, not really feeling like you, I'm grateful to feel like I don't need much to be kind of content and happy. Mm. Like I think especially with people that do chase this like high-end athletes and stuff, it's like you get in this thing, it's like I need something to feel really content and happy. And I think when you simplify a lot of stuff, it's like you don't need that much. Mm. So just to go for a walk, like i just been over in Europe for the last five weeks. So I haven't seen my girlfriend for five weeks and obviously when you're away for that amount of time, like just being able to go for a walk and chat with them is like that to me. I'm like very grateful just to have that again and just to be like real simplified into not thinking you need more, I guess. Mm. And just, I don't know, I'm grateful to just take the time to just like slow down a little bit and just like do the things you know you need to do, like just watching the sun come up and mm. being content with that. So yeah, grateful for that. Love that. That little sort of like zoom out of like, we're also zoomed in on like mm. what we're trying to achieve and our goals and, our yeah expectations of different things but then when you zoom out and go actually it's pretty good yeah like, those little things are so important every morning like when you got here this morning went and had a coffee just watched the ocean like the other things that we forget we're somewhat so privileged to have sometimes so i love that but today's gonna be all about you as we said we've kind of already wrapped into it a bit we've been friends for what probably a year now i reckon it'd been a year maybe a bit longer no i reckon about a year yeah, yeah. so i've got to know you from your mountain bike career we've been good mates and kind of learn a bit about each other but we definitely haven't gone back into our childhoods and learn how we got to where we are so this is a good chance for me to get to know you a bit better i came on your podcast um the off-track experience late last year i'll leave that in the show notes for everyone to have a check so you've kind of learned a bit more about my backstory but i haven't gone too far back for you so let's get to know dean lucas let's go back to the start where were you born what was life like as a kid? What do I need to know about your upbringing that shaped you to be the man you are today? I think life is a Let's, go, a let's go up until you're a teenager, up until 12, and then we'll move into school and teenage years. So I was born I was born in Wodonga in Victoria and grew up super loving family. Had like My mum was just like, you know those mums do anything? Do anything like food, love, care, just... It's like my mum too. Kit and caboodle, like just endless amounts of love and just like affection and... And then dad was, again, super loving, a bit more like strict, like the authority kind of thing, but only like all fair. Like looking back at it now, like sometimes as a kid, you're like, oh, come on. Like, but looking back, you're like, it was actually shaping you. Yeah, shape, yeah, beneficial. But, and it was cool as well because I think from a, a young age, they, it was this like kind of perfect balance between both of them. It's like heaps of love and caring and then harshness of like reality and you can't get everything you want you got to work hard so it was like they both complement each other really well and then i had and then had a brother as well i had an older brother which (laughs) is funny because we're like we're best friends now we get along super well but as a kid he'd like would fight a fair bit like again like loving but he was older and bigger stronger beat the shit out of me like yeah i was yeah yeah it was it was it was how much older Two years. Okay. So, so two, yeah. Just just that. Asserting dominance. Yeah, yeah. So that was always a tricky thing to... But looking back now, again, probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, having someone... Because I always joke around when people are like, oh, how do I, like... How do I get, like, the perfect athlete? Or how do I... Like, parents will ask me about their kids. Like, how do, like, how do I get into the next level? 
or how do I do this? And I always just joke around. I'm like, have another kid. I was like, have two kids and focus on the second one. And it's like, <laughs> people are kind of a bit taken back by it. But from the age, like obviously since I was born, I was always fighting a losing battle. Like I was always that resilience to like, I'm, ne- I'm never really going to be, as, as, until I like mature as an adult, like I'm never going to be as strong as you. I'm never going to be as fast as you. Every time I try something, you're going to beat me no matter what. And to have that happen again and again and again, I think it builds this resilience and it made me the person I am today. So I think that was looking back super, super beneficial. But this was something, it was like, I don't know, it was like, it was, it was at the time, I think, and a lot of people probably feel this now, like when you are struggling with something, it's like the worst thing you could be going through. And then you look back later in life and you go, oh man, that was so good. Like, I'm so glad that I went through that struggle then Mm. to then benefit me now. But super um super loving family like through everyone and dad was also instilled this certain mindset i think in us as kids and like at the time you don't really realize but he was an inventor like he invented a portable sawmill that got sold around the world and made a fair bit of money from that and i remember clearly when i was a kid he wanted to become a pilot like he wanted to fly for the air force but he failed his english exam so he he didn't pass and he kind of went like i don't want to do this anyway and but he always wanted to fly. Like that was like a, a dream of his. So when he sold, he made all the money selling these sawmills around the world. He earned enough money that he could buy a helicopter. So he brought this, they're called rotaways and they're like, you can buy them in boxes. Like they're like a kid helicopter. And I remember as a kid, he was building a helicopter from literally boxes, like scratch <laughs> in, the, in the shed. And as he's building it, he's learning to fly it. So a guy would come and like, he'd do exams and he'd do like flight courses and stuff. So you imagine as a kid watching your dad build a helicopter in the shed and then learning how to fly it. And like that instills in you a certain level of like, you can do what you want to do. And he'd always say that he's just like, he had this thing that he said to me that stuck with me. He's like, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter any of these things. It's how bad you want the thing that you want. Mm. And that's kind of always stuck with me. It's like, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're going through, it's like how bad you want that thing will determine whether you get that thing. And like, fuck everything before that the time now and like if people are smarter if people are stronger if people are further ahead like it doesn't matter it's like if you want that thing and really want it then you will get it Mm. so watching him live that and not just say it but live it and then chase his dream achieve it and then do the things he wanted was very empowering especially as a kid and again looking back it wasn't something that he like was like forcing down our throats. It was like, you've got to do this. Led by example. Exactly. Doing it. Yeah, yeah, it was way more powerful. And like, I could only appreciate that more in like my later years now. But as a kid, you kind of just like, I think you, yeah. you see it, but you don't understand it properly. And then you grow up and you're like, oh, like it makes more sense now. So wow, he, had, he had that. And also the fact that he, um, he traveled a lot. So he brought us along with him because he was traveling for like, like, uh, sales for his sawmill. Yeah, field days and stuff. So we, as a kid, went to like America, went to Brazil, went to like all these places because it was like a work kind of trip. Yeah. And he'd go do the field days and work and we'd kind of be able to like look around and experience a lot of stuff. So that kind of sparked travel for me from such a young age. And it's so empowering being able to travel as a kid because you see so many cultures, you see so many ways of living and you like you like unconsciously you expand your mind mm. so far. And I you see what else is out there You're yeah like, Wait, this isn't just my hometown exactly and like i grew up in a small country town so all my friends were that small country town mentality and like i'd just been to brazil swimming with piranhas and stuff or i was in america looking at like the grand canyon and i was like my world had like expanded massively mm. as a kid so then to 
come back, I just had that bug of like, like, like what else is out there? What can I do? Yeah. And that was something that, again, like it's obviously created me who I am now and what I want to do. But I see a lot of people that I grew up with and they're like, they, it's a good and bad thing. You see people that are content with like their little kind of happy with yeah. their kid and their mortgage exactly. and their small house with their partner they're married to in their early 20s. But people are happy. So that's it's, what like, I mean. it's it's fine as well, but it's like, that's not me. Yeah. And that's not me because of what I think my, like my family, like my dad and family, like how I grew up. And it's like, yeah. I'm kind of jealous of what they've got. Cause like, if you're happy with that man, like more power to you, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. But for how I grew up, it's just like, yeah, I want more and more and more. Kind yeah, of it's like, how much thing. can we squeeze into this life? Man, thank you for sharing that. It's, um, it's, it's a good example for anyone out there listening. If you've become friends with someone in the last couple of years, sit down and ask them about their childhood because I'm fascinated <laughs> that your dad built a helicopter as an entrepreneur or yeah. inventor. Like, it's fucking insane. I would have never guessed that. I'm sure a lot of your friends who you've met recently have no idea about that. No, not, cool. not many people would. He's a Thank- super, super interesting guy. Like, it's funny. He still flies helicopter around? Yeah, he got a different one actually. So he's got actually no, I don't know if you know he's got it now. I'm not sure if he's still flying at the moment. But mm. he, um, yeah, he. Oh, no. It was it was yeah it was a cool thing. It was a cool thing to like yeah have someone that you could see was like it's funny a guy that I grew up idolizing Greg Minard like a he's like the greatest of all time mountain biker and dad came over to a World Cup and he ended up I was friends with Greg and he ended up meeting him and they just became best mates and it's just no, like no. this weird thing of like this person you idolize and now you mate and now he's like best mates with your dad and it's just it's just a, it's it's a funny world the world isn't it? just works in weird ways mm. let's um let's somewhat keep moving through your story i'm going to ask a longer question so you can have a sip of your drink <clears throat> um i want to I, I want to go through your high school times but what comes first falling in love with mountain bike or high school um we'll probably go, i'll go through Go through primary school because that's probably more impactful and that's kind of the, okay. the mount, mountain biking. All right, let's talk through primary school kind, mountain biking. Kind of comes into it and this kind of like links together with, I guess, let's our... Go. You're a our, podcaster, you're a storyteller, you take me on a journey. <laughs> our, our relationship. So, again, talking back, like our... Like my upbringing, super positive, super happy, loving family, loving brother, loving dad, life is good kind of thing, but... We did grow up in like small country Vic in a little town called Wurugi, which is near Beechworth. If anyone knows, that's like a kind of a touristy town. And growing up on the country, like pretty isolating, like super isolating. And again, like I said, happy life. Everything was good. I went to like a small public school, which was not the best. There was like, I think in my year, I had like two other, two or three other kids. So it was like, I didn't really have any like close friends. It was just like, I think that school only had probably... 60 kids go to it and that's spread out over like you know every kid in the school no every kid and then like yeah and like you just kind of like got bullied a bit and it's just like you're getting fights it's just like a sketchy kind of public school so had that going on and then was like super isolated at home like kind of self-isolating in a way like I said I had like loving parents and it wasn't like they weren't showing me love but you kind of separate yourself and you get in your own head and stuff so this was going on, this is probably when I mean like year three or four, I think. Oh, so. the brother wasn't backing you up at school? No, he actually did. He yeah. did He did a lot. Honestly, like he lo- did look after me, but still, it's like there's only, your brother can only can be there. Do so much, yeah. Yeah, do so much, so. And yeah, I th- just like, I just got super lonely, honestly, as a kid. Like I was just very isolated, very lonely. And then obviously at the time you don't know what depression is, but like super depressed, super like didn't want to be yeah. there, didn't mm-hmm. want to, I wasn't good at anything. I wasn't that smart. I'd. 
like just there was not much going for me as a kid so I kind of just got in this like negative spiral in my head that I'm like why am I here what am I doing like what's the point of all this kind of shit and eventually that kind of hit like a I guess came to a heading where I was just like why am I here like what is the point of being here anymore so I think that's when you're like eight or nine I think I was maybe 10 or something like that. I don't know. Ex- I can't. I, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to like bring it too much up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you don't want to like, you don't need to dive into it, but it's like around that age, around yeah. 10 or something. So anyway, I was got to the point. I was like, yeah, why am I here? Why? What's the point of all this? And I remember I went to my room and I was just like, nah, don't want to be here anymore. I'm fucking over this. So try to commit suicide when I was, yeah, about 10. So I was like, try to try to hang myself in my room and I remember like tied a belt I had a bunk bed and I like tried to tie a belt to the bunk bed and I tried to do it and I wouldn't it wouldn't hold or whatever like I wouldn't couldn't get it to hold and I couldn't do it and I just remember being like then I got even more upset because I was like I can't even do this do this and it was like that and then I remember I can I can you know when you can go back to a moment in your life and I remember laying on the ground and I had this like bunk bed and I had like the pole like a leg to the bunk bed I remember laying there like just crying and just like kind of like hitting my head like just next to this bed just like like why am I here why am I here like and just being like just like distraught and I like can remember that moment so clearly and then my uh my mum walked into my bedroom and they like the belt was still hanging there and I was just laying on the ground and then she like kind of freaked out and was just like like what's going on what's happening and then I kind of like Pretty, I, can't, I can't remember exactly what I said but pretty much it was just like I don't want to be here anymore like yeah, I don't see the point down. and then that kind of happened they ended up taking me I remember I went and saw a counsellor and kind of like talked about the reasons and being in this school and kind of everything kind of came to a bit of a head and it was kind of like this transitional phase of like getting out of that school and then I kind of found writing around the same time like I was already doing it a bit but I kind of like lent more into it so I moved schools and then kind of writing kind of like came up and I started to get like better at that. Mm. And it was almost like writing saved my life in a way because it gave me something to like strive towards. It gave me a community of people that I like suddenly had friends and then I had like goals to set. And it's just like this picked up this momentum that like pulled me out of this like negative spiral. And I'm like, I would go build jumps and I'd be around kids doing that. And I'm like, like that was for me, I just I had no community of people around. Yeah, I had a purpose, I had community, I had goals, I had all these things that came with writing and it came all around that time of like leaving that school and getting connected with these new people and it, yeah, it just kind of snowballed and kind of picked up, yeah, picked up this momentum and then I've never been close to ever like being back to that yeah, wow. place but I just remember so clearly that like such a pivotal moment that moment yeah thank you for sharing coming out of it yeah fuck that's so heavy for one hearing that it's like about your friend once again things that you just don't know about people that have shaped him yeah 10 years old man like to go through that and to be in that sort of mindset I always look at really young um, suicide and suicide attempts I'm like how do they even get the idea and how do they get to that stage at Mm. that age but so and this is before social media this is like you know what I mean this is just straight up kids bullying with a supportive family like so many kids going through so much and don't have those skills to deal or to talk mm. about what's going on well the thing with mental health it's like from the outside everything's perfect mm. and then from the inside it's like it's on fire yeah but you can't see that and it's just like the biggest thing I think was community and connection was yeah. the thing I was like isolating myself and that was like just took its toll on me and still to honestly like 
to this day, like I know how I need that. I yeah. need like people around me. I need like connection with people. Mm. I think if that goes, it's like, yeah, things can take a, take a turn. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fuck. Thank you for sharing that. Let's, um, let's move through high school now. You started mountain biking, you found your community, you found a bit of purpose, bit of drive, bit of hope, bit of mm. direction moving forward. Talk me through your high school years, getting more into mountain bike riding, picking up sponsors, winning races. Mm. What was that high school period like for you? High school was good, man. Definitely, like, I moved to, like, a private school. It was such a... It was a bit t- tricky at the start because imagine you go to a public school where you're getting in fights every day. You got pretty much no ed- proper education and then you go to a private school, which is, like... Yeah, everyone's wearing ties. Yeah, 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 way behind the education. Everyone's wearing ties. No one's fighting anyone. I was just, like... Who do I fight? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what's happening here? So it was a big jump at the start and I felt... Yeah, like obviously being way behind I felt like that was a bit of a daunting thing to kind of like try and catch back up but like I said at the same time I like found the the mountain biking was kind of like pushing me along as well so I was getting better at mountain biking I was getting better at school like everything was kind of on the up and honestly high school was it was good man I made a lot of good friends I felt connected with people I felt like they kind of you know when you get better at something it comes back to like you got that kind of respect for someone because they get better at something mm. and I felt like I was like oh people like people like me because I'm like not just because I'm good at it but it gave it like something like oh what are you doing the weekend oh, I'm racing and like oh cool and it's like yeah. adds to that instead of like what are you doing the weekend and you're like oh I'm just hanging out at my house yeah, and, and it yeah. makes you exciting interesting yeah exactly so it adds to it and I definitely like lent into that and yeah high school which can sometimes be a bit of a demise though when you start basing your whole identity around yeah. it, which I'm sure we'll catch up to. And as the- I do with every one of my guests, we have the <laughs> same fucking story because we don't get taught not to mm. get so enthralled in that. But yeah, talk me through those last few years of high school, I guess. Did you think we already on track to like be getting paid mountain bike riding sponsored or we like, all right, I got to look at uni as well and have a job to balance um, riding because yeah, going into a sport especially a sport like mountain biking, which I'm sure Australia isn't the strongest country in the world for it. Mm. Yeah. How'd you find that transition into high school? I w- it was, it wasn't until I was about 16. I never kind of, it's like anything. It's like you kind of dream of it, but you don't really see it happening. Mm. And especially being in Australia, like it's, you can't make a living racing bikes in Australia. You got to go to Europe or America or Canada. Like it's, yeah. you got to expand. So at the start, it was kind of just like a bit of a dream but then when I was 16 I did really well at a local race and then I ended up my time would have been the fastest out of all the elite guys and there was guys that were racing that had raced overseas so I was kind of like this oh shit moment like I can I can do it and this was like leading into the end of my high school career and I remember my dad was always like I want you to finish school like I want you to get a proper education I want you to do it and we ended up going to Europe for a month when I was 17 and racing some world cups and I did all right like not great but then just being away from home from school and from home and trying to do like schoolwork and balance it it was just like I don't think I can do like it's too hard to like especially going into year 12 where it's yeah, you need time at you school need time so I said to my dad I was like hey like I don't think I can race and go to school like I think it's one's oh, yeah. going to one like it's am I going to fail both like am I going to half ass both or can I just put all my energy into one Anyway, he's like, okay, you can drop out of school, but I want you to get a trade. I want you to do something. I don't want this to be... I don't want you to put all your... Eggs in one basket. Exactly. I want you to do something else. So I ended up dropping out of school in year 11. I started actually working for him doing some production stuff because he was building this, like inventing this new thing. So he's like, yep, you do that. So I was working for him 
I was going to TAFE and then I was training. And honestly, it was probably some, probably like what, like looking back now, the, like the best years of like racing that I think I've done because it was like, I, I had sponsors, but I wasn't getting paid. I was just, they were like, they would cover some stuff, get yeah. me bikes, all this stuff, but I was still had to work to make money. But you know, when you're chasing something, it's so fun mm. because you just, you, you want it, you want to capture yeah. it. It's like the dog chasing the car. Mm. And I remember chasing it and like I'd work my eight hour day and then he'd be, they'd be like, oh, you can go like go train or whatever. So then I'd do my eight hour day and I'd be so keen to hop on the bike to go mm-hmm. training and then I'd go road riding or go for a trail bike ride or go to the gym. And I remember being so driven to, to want to do that thing. And this went on and it was funny as well because I was going to TAFE, which probably the best motivating thing I've ever had to not. Yeah. To, to succeed because I, I like, do not want to go down this path man I'd rock up to TAFE and I'd sit in my car for like 20 minutes being like I don't want to be here and I was doing like a Boilermakers apprenticeship so like welding and engineering which I'm glad I've done it I'm glad I know the skill wouldn't recommend to people to do like when you're welding like 10 mil steel in a, like in, a, in fumes and everything and your eyesight gets fucked and it's yeah. just yeah it's it's not not the career path I like picture myself going down but I'm so glad I had that because that was like option B in my mind. It's mm. like option A is becoming a World Cup racer. Option B is becoming a welder or going to TAFE. And that like lit a fire under my ass to like, okay, well, we're going to make option A work mm. because option B sucks. <laughs> so yeah, wow. it was super, super motivating. And I remember every time I was like training, I just had that thought in my mind and be like, I don't want to, I don't want option B. I don't want option mm. B. And it made me so driven for option A and made me obviously put enough effort into it then it did actually become a, a proper job what about with um <clears throat> with like racing obviously coming from australia it's quite a small i guess racing community did you have any other kind of teammates or anyone else that was pushing you around your age that because sometimes when you're doing it alone it's quite difficult and although you had the option b pushing you sometimes having sort of other people around you in a community or some training partners can be pretty important or coaches or something did you have any coaches or training partners around you that were sort of helping you get that drive and giving you a bit of direction yeah i had actually from a from a like a young age of racing though was we're not really training partners but kids i raced against and that was another thing like when i started racing i wasn't like i didn't come out and i was like the best like i actually got beaten a lot but again it's like having the older brother like getting i think it's always good to get beaten a lot at the start Mm. like i think to upcoming athletes like getting humbled a lot at the start gives you that resilience and makes you think about like okay well what do I do to get better Mm. where I think when sometimes kids come in and they win everything they almost get bored with it and Mm. don't understand that okay like you're the big fish in a little pond now eventually you're going to become the little fish Mm. and it's like then you don't have the the tools to deal with that I love that my dad always said to me like you got to learn how to lose before you learn how to win because in an individual sport like ours you're going to lose a hell of a lot more than you're going to win and yeah I love the part how you said like quite often you especially for coming from Australia we become the big fish in a small pond quite quickly (laughs) and get quite not relaxed or like think okay this is all good and then you get thrown into the international field and you're Mm. like oh shit I gotta work hard that was probably how I relate to it most like somewhat like definitely in the top like handful for a lot of my junior career so I kind of felt that big fish small pond and did get that rude shark so Mm. how was that for you it was 
it was good because like I said like I sucked at the start yeah. so I got used to it and I guess even like I said with the older brother like you get used to losing you're saying sucked at the start from like 12 till 16 because if you're getting time when you're 17 in high school that's good enough to beat well, all the elites that's probably where you're starting that, to become big fish that was like overcoming it yeah like towards the end of like racing in Australia I'd like definitely started to get to the, the to, top, to, yeah. the top. there's still like a lot of kids that were like there was for example this Troy Brosnan guy he's one of the best in the world Connor Fearham was like one of the best in the world and I remember when I started racing they were so far ahead of me like I remember going and like being fans of these guys at a race even though they're like a year or two older than me I'd rock mm-hmm. up and I'd be like you're so far ahead of where I am yeah, and yeah. where I want to be that it was like humbling so you go to a race and you feel good and they'd beat you by like 10 seconds and you're like alright I'm not even close to mm-hmm. where I should be but then because of that, you're like, all right, well, if I train harder, if I eat better, if I do this, it's like you start working out ways to better yourself. And then that over time, like you take a second out here or a second out there and you figure out ways to overcome. And then by the time I went overseas, I was like still not quite on their level, but like I'd close that gap massive, mm. massively. So like you say, it is a rude shock when you do go to Europe or like you go overseas and you suddenly get like, oh shit, I'm not the man anymore. And then being able to like internalize that and deal with it and then work out ways to overcome that and move forward. I think it's better if you learn that when you're younger than when you're older. Mm. And I think some like prodigies sometimes, well prodigies in in a certain country, they never deal with that. And this kid, for example, that he would win everything when I was like in under 15s and under 17s every race I'd go to he'd beat me I'd have my best run he'd beat me and that happened for like I think two and a half years and then finally I beat him and it was like I knew all the effort that had been put into that and then I kept kind of beating him and then he just the next year he just stopped Wow. going and it was like I just don't I think he just always I don't, I don't know thought I don't it was going to be as easy as it was and Exa- then it wasn't and it's like well no I'm over it yeah exactly so I think yeah I think like failure is so important to go through I think at any age but I think if you can do it when you're younger and deal with it that it's going to be so much more beneficial when you're older mm. and I think just understanding like okay I'm failing now like what am I learning from this or can I get out of this like so many people fail and they go in this pity party and put mm. their head down and you're like man this is going to be so ben- yeah. beneficial and I'm like not now but I'll touch back on like the kind of the whole like the suicide thing will then like go forward to like a positive in the future but yeah, okay. we'll, we'll get, yeah we'll get we're that. up to our 20s so you've started obviously doing your Boilermaker, you're doing a bit of work with dad. It's amazing. It sounds like the mindset that your dad would have to have to be an inventor of like, there's no failure. There's just learning a way not to do it mm. is something that in its own way has come through so much in your mindset of like, of like always wanting to grow, always wanting to learn and having that sort of like, all right, how can I get better? How can I make this better? How can I make this work better? It sounds like potentially throughout your dad's, journey and inspiration and guidance might have given you a very similar mindset in its own way but yeah let's talk about your 20s now how old are you now 28 28 oh you're younger than me baby (laughs) 29 (laughs) yeah 29 (laughs) um let's talk about your 20s so actually let's talk about mountain biking real quickly because mountain biking is a sport that a lot of people probably listening are like oh yeah i've seen i ride mountain bike every now and then what you're doing is that sport that is racing down a very steep mountain over rocks and drops and crazy shit very fast and then over big jumps in between trees. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely insane what you do. So let's talk about a competition day for you and then let's talk about this um, part of your 20s in your career. So let, what's a normal like competition for a pro mountain biker look like? 
So a lot of people, whenever you say mountain biking or downhill, they like they hear about like Rampage or like Red Bull Hardline, which is like similar to what I do, but that's more like jumps and tricks and stuff like yeah. that. So what I do is just time. So it's like downhill skiing. It's like you start top of the track. You're Timer up. starts when you go through the gate. It yeah. stops when you go through the end. So it's who can be the fastest, fastest down the mountain. You're not bottom. racing next to anyone. It's just the fastest. Individual, yeah. T- take your own line. Go for it. Exactly. So... Normally for like a basic weekend, we rock up, we walk the track, work out where you want to kind of go. And then the first day of practice, you do maybe seven, seven, eight runs. But it's in, it's insane how fast people go, how quickly they go fast. So you'll go somewhere and by like your third run down the hill, you're pretty much going race pace. So when you watch it on like TV, never gives anything justice, but you go to some of these places and how fast people ride straight away is like, it'll yeah, to blow your mind. All right. And it's like, like you said, it's over rocks and roots. And how fast are you going? Like, averaging like 40 to 50k. Yeah, probably averaging, yeah, yeah. At the fast bits, like 80, 90. Yeah, there's some, like, some races where there's, like, obviously real fast straights and stuff. You can get up to, like, 80k's, but most of the time you average, like, 40 to 50k's an hour. And this is, like, gaps, roots, rocks, like, constantly changing. The track deteriorates over time just from the amount of people that are riding. So, you const- your brain's trying to adapt and understand and like kind of like a supercomputer of like, okay, this line was there, the run before, now it's gone. Now I'm going to cut to the inside. And it's, yeah, it's a lot. When people see it, like sometimes even I watch like my mates and stuff, right? And I'll just be like, this is... Insanity. This is, yeah, this is And to top it off, you guys, this is what I didn't realize with mountain bike riding. There's so much going on on your bike. Like mm-hmm. you have like a button on your handle that makes your seat go down and stay down so you can be just using, not like sitting yeah. then you have like hooks for your feet so you clipped in on your feet which most people don't know so if you fall if you don't get your feet unclipped your bike's tangled up with you while yeah. you're falling like there's all these things that I didn't recognise and I'm sure a lot of the people listening right now wouldn't have known either so yeah let's talk about that so you go through a couple times have your warm up runs then race weekend comes around what's that look like so with like the bikes like you're saying yeah we run clip pedals you're constantly changing your bike like you got air in your forks you got oil you got different like things to, to work out like the compression the rebound you're changing that dependent on the track you're changing your shock you're kind of adjusting your tire pressure and this was funny to me because we went surfing the other day and you said you can notice if your fins are different like yeah. if they're like three mil different you can mm, you can I can feel anything you can feel it and I was like dude how can you feel that kind of thing like that's so small if you put a an extra PSI in my tire, I would probably notice or yeah. like an extra click on my fork, yeah. I would notice. But it's like when you get so like in tune with mm. that thing. So we're constantly changing that as the weekend goes to adapt to our speed and the track conditions and everything. Mm. So we do that and then we normally do a qualifying run which is like sets you off for the finals. How many people in a event? In an event in Europe, you get, a, I think it's about 160, 180 or so. Okay, go wow. to, and that's obviously condensed down from the whole world because you need to obviously race your local series. You have to qualify. You have to qualify. Top 160. Yeah, wow. yeah. So you get UCI points, and that puts you into the into the Event. World Cup, and then that gets cut down to 60 for qualifying. Then it cuts down to 30 for a semi final, and then the the 30 for race the finals. So wow, okay. Yeah, it gets chopped down a bit, but yeah, it's a pretty full on thing to go to. So Europe. you race with the 160, the top 60 times. Yeah, and you just get you just get one run. You get one qualifying run, and that sets you. If you get top sixty, then you're in the semi final, and then you do your semi final, and that sets you for the final. And the finals, the, the top thirty guys at the end. Wow! And then you go down, and it's like in Europe, man, it's insane. Some of the races I've done, like in France, France for example, is they're like super fans, man. Like they love it, and you be racing down, and people are setting off flares, people have chainsaws with like obviously no blades, but just like the noise, like 
sirens, horns. Trying to focus while going through trees, all this with all that going on. I love it though. Honestly, the louder it is, the more I focus in. It's this weird thing where the louder the noise is, the more in tune I get, where if it's quiet, I get in my own head. And then at the end of usually a race is like, a second or two between like first and tenth and stuff hey it can be like point one, point two of a second hey like there's been races this year where there's been ten people in the same second fuck like it's crazy how cutthroat it and how long's like a run usually like three and a cu- half minutes three and a half minutes and it comes down to like point one. it's like crazy how cutthroat it is oh, and it's... yeah it's just wild but so I guess now we've set the scene a little bit of that now let's I guess talk about your career a little bit that's something that I don't know too much about and I'm so, so yeah, talk me through like the early part of your 20s. How's the career running there? The career, so I just, I'd signed a, so I'd gone over to Europe to privateer. I was on, it was, it was actually, it was like, thinking back, it was really, it was actually such a fun year again. Like I was full privateer. What's get, privateer, you mean? Like I was not, not getting paid, not no. get, not didn't have support in Europe. Like I had a, a bike uh, importer in Australia help me out, Rowney Sports. So he gave me. I think I still paid for the bike, maybe, or got discounted or something, yeah. Bikes are like 18 grand, you're Yeah, they're expensive. So I think he might have either discounted or maybe I got it for free. I can't fully remember, but, like, not a proper deal. Yeah. So he helped me out. I had, like, a few gear sponsors and stuff, but, like, still working to get by. Yeah. And I flew over to Europe, had these mates that they kind of call themselves the Vanzac now. It was, like, a mixture of Kiwis and Aussies, and they just drove around in vans to get to the races. So it was, like, me... Jack Moyer, Joey Voda, Dave McMillan and Luke Allison were all these mountain bike guys and then jumped in this transit van with him that was way too small for all of us and we'd drive to races and I'd get a little bit of help at the races through like different sponsors that were like on my bike but it wasn't like official or anything they were just helping me out because I was kind of doing alright in Oz so they're like Mm. oh I can give you like if you break apart we can replace it and stuff like that and I remember I rocked up to the first World Cup and I remember it was, it was, you know, when you can just remember like certain things in your head that just stick with you. But I remember mm-hmm. before I flew over, there was all these young kids my age that were on proper factory teams. It was like Mark Wallace, Jean-Luc Vanessa, Taylor Verning, like these kids that I was like, oh my God, man, they're on like GT and they're on Da Vinci and they're on these teams that I was like dreamt of being on one day. And, and then like bike brand Bike teams, brand, yeah. yeah. So the big bike brand teams. And I remember getting on the plane and I was like, oh man, like you kind of, you almost put yourself at a disadvantage because you think like, oh, how am I going to beat this guy? He's yeah. got a factory team. He's got a factory deal. He's the guy. Yeah, yeah. And I went over to the first race in Scotland and I got third at the first race, which was the like World Cup. at a World Cup as a, wow. ju- as a junior, which was like a massive... There's junior World Cups too. The, this was the first year they ran junior World Cups. So the, the year before 2012, I was racing with Elite and I'd qualified for a couple, which I was pumped yeah. about. And then the second year... They're like, okay, we're going to do a junior and then an elite and make it separate. So at the first World Cup, I actually got third. And it was funny because I had to wear an Australian jersey because I didn't have a team. And at the start, I was like, oh man, I've got to run like an Australian, like, no, not like defense to yeah. Australia, but it just made me feel like, imagine having a big banner on you to just be like, you're not sponsored. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it felt like. It was yeah. like, you got to run this because you're a privateer and then you got these people that had factory deals. Yeah. And I kind of, at the start, I was like, oh man, kind of like hidden away with it and then I got third and like I was like oh man like I know the two guys in front of me both on factory teams like proper yeah proper rides and I kind of owned it a bit more and then the second race I ended up winning and I just remembered like being on the podium with my Aussie jersey and the two guys next to the factory teams and I was like <laughs> yeah. chest out like kind of because it was like 
Imagine you're on a factory team and this privateer guy. Factory teams, yeah, like sponsored by a brand and then what you wear there, stuff. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. So they had like a truck, mechanic, pits, oh, like wow. so everything. They had stuff to work on their bike and everything. Yeah, you know, just coming over from your van life, literally it yeah. together yourself. Yeah, literally. So it it was one of those things. Like, yeah, I didn't. I wore it as like a badge of honor after that, and ended up having a a pretty good year. I think I got like in the end, I ended up, I was, I was leading the overall for a little bit and then I was second just going into the last rounds and then I kind of just cooked it a bit and didn't have the best finish. But luckily Da Vinci, a bike brand decided to pick me up the year after cause I obviously showed good yeah. speed. So they picked me up in 2014 and that was, it was like, remember the whole thing? Like, I was saying like you're chasing something and then you get it yeah. and then you kind of a bit, you don't know what to do with it. Yeah, so I'd yeah. gone from the privateer chasing this and then I'd gotten it. Kind of let the foot off the gas a bit or... No, I let the foot off. just felt to... like a poster syndrome. Like mm. I felt like, oh shit, like what am I doing here? Like my teammate at the time was like the current, he just won the overall so he was like the fastest guy in the world and that was like pretty nerve wracking to be like, what am I doing mm. here? He's the fastest guy in the world. Like, I knew I was like kind of okay, but it just made me feel a bit uncomfortable yeah, just being on. Yeah, and I had a shocking year in 2014, like just crashing, not qualifying, and I was like, man, I'm really blowing it here. Like, mm. <laughs> I finally got an opportunity and ended up having like this terrible year. And I think, and I've I've had I've had this thing where like you have a year like that and you kind of reassess and you kind of think about like what am I doing and yeah. then and then focus in and I've like internalized a lot of it and kind of try to understand it. And then luckily the year year after I went out and it was in 2015 and had the best year of my life and actually I got my first podium, got third in the world at a race and wow. got 12th in the overall and was like the fastest up and coming guy kind of thing. and Biggest improver. Kind yeah, of. it was cool to have that like... Hype. Yeah, if you can... And I guess it comes from that like struggle, overcome mm. it, keep going forward. Feels for, better, yeah. Yeah, so that was, yeah, it's... It, it just comes back to that man it's like when it's not going well you just kind of got to like pick apart what's not working and then work out ways and put in the time and effort and it can it can turn around yeah I think it's um really cool to know that you had that mindset but also had to go through the struggle tough year and then what'd you change the next year that made it more successful I think the biggest thing was just my mindset just becoming comfortable with being like okay like you should be here you don't feel like you're an imposter. Don't feel like you don't deserve this. Don't feel like just because your teammate's the best in the world that that doesn't take away from who you are. Don't, because I think like training and everything was pretty similar, but it was just, yeah, my mindset going in that being like, you should be here and then actually enjoying it and not feeling like worried or like, mm. oh, now that I've got like a sponsor that I've got a, it's because you, you feel like you almost stop writing for yourself and you start writing for someone mm. else and that's just never going to work. Like as soon as you start doing something for someone else, yeah, you're not you doing that for yourself. Yeah, you're never going to achieve the highest level in that thing. So that who, was something I, I felt like I changed. Who or what helped you change that? Because it's hard. Some people get stuck in that mindset and go the other way. I can't remember exactly what, what if there was like a certain thing that flipped it. I had a coach at the time, Joel Panozzo, which is like an ex-racer from Australia. He definitely helped a little bit with like training and he'd been through it. So I chatted with him about it. But I don't remember like a pivotal moment. I just remember knowing I had to like knowing that something had to change yeah. like you know when you have a year where it's terrible and you're like well, I can't keep doing this mm. kind of thing like it needs to change or I need to do something else but I'm I know like proud of myself that I did change it I mm. needed that but you're you're also big you'd have been 20 here yeah. 2015 eight years ago yeah yeah it's like looking back yeah, then, like 19, you're, 20, you're a so kid you're still a grom so yeah let's talk about that next period you've had the best year of your life 12th in the world and you're 20 years old 
what's this next sort of little chapter 20 to 25 like trying to consolidate your spot climb the rankings get a little bit lost in the middle of the rankings what's um yeah what's that period like after that year man like honestly probably some of the best like months if not time of my entire life because again it's like proving to myself that i can do it had one of the best years of my life got a world cup podium which was like obviously every kid's dream is to like be one of the best in the world so and then because i still wasn't getting paid at this point either which even made it feel better like i had a bike i had accommodation all that but i was making absolutely no money so to be 12th in the world prize money for podiums and stuff i was like I think I got like a thousand euros or something. And you like, bike you. Yeah, like, yeah, nothing. So, but just that fact that like, oh, you can be the best in the world. Like I was still working for my dad. I was still welding. I was still doing mm. all this stuff. And for it was, like a couple months a year, then going and spending the season yeah, riding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do our summer working and then go away for our winter and then wow. race over there. But that was such like, to, it's such a cool feeling. And to anyone that's like, oh, I can't do this because I don't have the sponsorship or the... I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. I was like, man, like it comes back to like, how bad do you want it? Mm. How bad do you want that thing? And I was like, I remember even when I was going to school before then, like I would wake up in the morning, it'd be dark. I'd catch a bus and go to school. I'd catch the bus back past my house, get off, walk three Ks to the gym, do like work out the gym for like an hour and a half get my mum to pick me up and drive me home and I'd like wake up in the dark, get home in the dark. Wow. And I remember back then how much harder that was to like to train and like to make mm. it work. But it's like, I wanted it. Yeah. And like you stop coming up with excuses and just coming up with solutions and you just do it because you want to do it. Like mm. the passion's there to do it, but you just got to guess, ask yourself, you're like, how bad do I actually want this thing or do I just kind of want it? Mm. And then like, you've got to work that. Like, only you can answer that really. Like yeah. only you can work out how bad you want it. Which I'm excited to catch up to where you're at now in your head <laughs> with how bad you want it because we, um, we talk about this a lot because obviously I've just transitioned out of sport, out of being a professional athlete and, and finding my next little chapter. But let's go these last couple of years of racing. What's, um, what's it been like? And now let's talk about why and the input that you've had through like your social media presence, you're building more of a profile outside of just the racing and realizing that you've got more to offer than just being fast down a hill on a bike. You now have mm. your podcast, the off track experience where you speak to amazing people, just like my, not myself, amazing person, but just like myself. <laughs> hey, you're on it. You're on it. You're amazing. You're part of it. <laughs> just, just like this podcast, just talking to people and learning how different all our lives are can really expand our understanding of what's going on in the world and op- world and opportunities outside of that insulated community that we find ourselves in when we have a career in a sport or a career in any industry. Like once we really start to talk to other people, it allows us to expand our horizons. So yeah, let's talk about why and when the podcast started and um, yeah, what the off-track experience is about. This is back in twenty. 20- 2019 yep. so and this is another this is probably one of the best other i've had some good years 2015 was a good year but 2019 i just signed with a new brand you know when just things like fall into place and you're yeah. just enjoying life like you just it's just life's flowing you're in this mm. like state of just like everything seems to be working you can't put a foot wrong so i started the podcast me and my friend actually want to start like a post-race show talking about the race and what happened and all these little things and that kind of just evolved into just me doing a podcast and I loved it, man. I just, I'd rock up to people's place. I had this shitty blue Yeti mic that I'd plug into my laptop and like record terrible audio. Didn't even have the mic set up. Didn't know how to use the gain or like just nothing. Like just mm. full winging it. 
But you know, when you kind of, it's like you don't care. Yeah. And that's what kind of makes it good in a way. Like, I think sometimes, like, I call it paralyzed by perfection. When you try and make something so perfect that you almost don't do it because you're so caught up in your own head. Mm. So, 2019, I was traveling around, racing World Cups. I just signed this new deal. I was doing quite well in racing, interviewing people. Like, life was just like flowing yeah. really, really well. And I realized, like you said before, like I'd sit down and chat to people that I'd known for 10 years and I'd ask them questions that I'd never asked. And you're just like, oh man, this is such a different way of actually talking to someone. Building connection. Yeah, there's Mm. no phones, there's no distractions. And because you're asking the question for other people, it seems like, it's like you're more open to ask things that you actually don't know either and you're Mm. curious about, but you don't, I don't know, for whatever reason, we don't do it. Mm. Like, and I remember I heard somewhere that someone said you should do a podcast with your friends even if you don't put it out there but just to see have that kind of different conversation like that kind of mm. form, like how because you get so like many right now I didn't know anything about your dad making helicopters yeah. or your suicide like I work in mental health and you're a good mate of mine and yeah. like you know what I mean we've never had that conversation about your upbringing that you've been in that <laughs> yes. dark of a place you know what I mean it's yeah. something that we can learn a lot about people that can allow us to connect on a deeper level because we know more. Mm. Yeah, I think it's important. Because that was the thing, because I said we're so similar. I remember when you came to mind, I was kind of like, what was the push for the mental health thing? And I thought maybe you could have been like, oh, when I was younger, had blah, blah, blah. But you said it was kind of more like your the relationship with your dad and with your mum and how that all panned out. Yeah. And then it was just like, that was probably our biggest, not, what you say, it's not separation, like our biggest difference in mm. that. I think everything else was very similar, but it was like more that I dealt with the whole depression suicide yeah. kind of stuff and that was the the thing that we had that was different but i don't know it's like i don't know it's not something you kind of bring up all the time yeah. but it's still yeah. a thing that is there yes yeah absolutely like it's a, like you said i feel like we have such interesting similarities in our life but mainly just our mindset i feel like we have mm-hmm. very similar views on the world different sort of understandings on the way things work and yeah it's been really cool getting to connect and build our friendship so that's where i want to kind of get to now these last couple of years covid's run rampant around the world in 2020 2021 made it very hard for people who traveled internationally made it very hard for people who are athletes mm-hmm. what were those couple of years like for you well this was it was a weird one because it was coming off like that 2019 year where yeah, i said everything year, everything was flowing well. i got 10th in the overall which is my best result tenth in the world massive yeah that was like a that's always been a goal of mine i remember i had two goals i wanted to get 10th in the overall and two back-to-back top tens and at the last race of the year i did both on the, in the same day and i was just like yeah it felt like really like really accomplished really happy and i remember i remember coming home and like you know when you're just riding that wave like you just mm. life's just going the right way and i got i got home already super pumped super happy and anyway i wanted to throw this massive party for my because i normally my birthday's in may but because i'm always away racing i was like i'll push it back and have it in like november october something like that so organized this big party had like caterers got djs like i was like i'm just gonna put all this energy into this big party and i got back set it all up had it going on and i remember being there and everyone was like at this party and i was like so stressed about everyone else having fun like i'm like running around and like trying to do this and that and trying to make it all and I'm like I'm not even enjoying this and I remember I had this point and I don't know how people like people can view this any way they want but I remember I was like there had a stage with the DJ on it and I remember I kind of was just like really stressed because I think a projector or something wasn't working and I was just like remember stopping and I was just like thinking and I remember I looked up on this stage and fully went out of my body looked back at myself 
and like shot up into like imagine like Google Maps you like zoom out went up into like space real quickly and came back and like went back into myself and it just changed my perspective on myself my position why I like was stressed about everything and literally just instantly changed my whole emotional state and felt amazing and from that point on had probably the best night of my entire life just everything just flowed expectations just everything it just all changed and it was funny because from that night because I never I never told anyone about the suicide thing like that was always like my family knew and that was close family that was it and I felt very ashamed of it for whatever reason so that moment happened and I just felt like this I, like I'd never been so happy in my life I felt new emotions of happiness like it just like it, my, everything got lifted in that moment and that mm-hmm. night and I was just like oh my god and it felt like the pendulum from when I like when, when I com- tried to commit suicide had swung back to this new point of like happiest I've ever been wow. and from that moment I had this like overwhelming sense to share that with people because it was just like I'd been here and now I'm here mm. so like anyone struggling can go from here to here yeah and just literally after that, I was like, I need to like tell this story for some reason. It just came and hit me. I was like, I need to tell people this story. So I'd, um, I talked to Jace McAlpine from Gypsy Tales, like just chatted during the season. I was like, oh man, I'd love to like get in your podcast kind of thing. And he's like, yeah, I'd love to at any time. So th- literally the next day I was like, all right, I need to go up to Queensland and like tell my story. And it was just like, just, it just like hit me. So I started traveling up the coast in my van and did every day I woke up, I'd almost be like, am I still this happy? And I'd wake up and be like, yeah. And I just, you know, when just life flows, like you meet the right people, you do the right things. And I've never, I've, I've never been that happy in my entire life. And I've never, life never felt so like bright. And so like, I don't, yeah, you can't even, you can't even put like it into words, but every day I'd wake up and it was almost just like not real. And then I'd meet people. And because obviously you, put that energy out you'd get it back and it mm. kind of kept building itself and I remember coming up here and then I opened up on like Gypsy Tales about the whole suicide and first time I'm like no one knew about this yeah, like, yeah. no one knew anything about it besides my close family and then the the outpouring of like support and emotion to like that said it did help people like people opened up to me mm. they would send me messages like oh I've never told anyone this before but I heard your story and it's really helped me and like my dad passed away and it's helped me get through the, and like just kept Crazy. coming at me and it changed my like idea of fulfillment and where I got fulfillment from. Cause I think in the past it was like racing and inner, like kind of like ego and inner fulfillment mm. and stuff like that through that. And then this happened. And I was like, Oh man, like this is where you get the real emotion from. This is where like, this is real. Mm. And I felt that from like telling my story and seeing the response it got. And that kind of, I guess changed me as a person in a way. It was like, okay, maybe racing isn't, so much the thing for me anymore and maybe it's helping other people and like helping them in some ways and telling my story and like through experience and all these other things and it kind of that started playing on my mind from that point on and then this is like kind of going into COVID then COVID obviously comes in so that kind of took racing away from a year as well so it was like this kind of not like perfect yeah good timing almost that you had that mindset going through COVID that you're like yeah I'm more than just racing anyway kind of thing yeah it was like a forced retirement but then I'd kind of found this other path in a way so it was this weird one where it's like obviously I want to go race and it's been my life and everything but also I get so happy just like helping other people and like it's making them see life in a better way like 
like riding a bike's cool, but it's like what you can do with that platform is way cooler. Mm. And I felt like I had a pretty cool story to tell. I I like the pendulum and swang anyone and like just helping people through that stuff is like, okay, that's the real stuff. Like that actually means something. So then when that happened, it was like COVID went on and then it was almost like this, like I said, like perfect storm to kind of push me in this new direction in a way. And then since then, man, it's been kind of hard because I've still been racing. Like I raced in 2021 and 2022 and currently now. And I kind of almost never got back. Like I've never, I haven't, since 2019, I haven't, I don't think I've raced my bike like I did then since. Mm, And I don't know. Top 10 sort of. Nah, but it's not even like, I just don't know if like my heart, my head is in it because of that that change mm. and there's a Tony Robbins has this thing where he says if you want to take the island you've got to burn the boat and what that means is like you can't have any option B's you've got to like all your focus has got to be on this one thing mm. and when COVID happened and when the podcast happened and when all these other things that helped fulfill me as a person that just created a heap of other boats mm. and like the World Cup island like conquering that thing just kind of started to drift away a little bit a little bit yeah and it's just like I think to be the best in the world at anything you've got to be fully committed to it in everything yeah diet training mindset everything Mm -hmm. and as soon as you drop in one aspect of that you can't be the best and that's something that I've kind of battled with for the last last couple of years to be honest and then even this year like even moving up here man was almost a way to be like all right, let's try and change it up and almost well, I kind of came up here because I wanted to like get away from riding to then maybe fall in love with it again. Like mm, absence makes a heart. it, yeah. Exactly. But it kind of did almost the opposite that it's like, oh, the surfing's pretty cool now. Hanging out with you guys is really cool. Like doing all this other stuff, meeting different people, having different like avenues to go down. It's almost pulled me out a little bit more. So speak at schools with the good humor factor. Yeah. Now that I know your story more, I feel terrible that I haven't listened to your Jace podcast and <laughs> know all about that. Yeah. Um, but man, it's so funny. I feel so similar maybe since i started the good human factor almost fuck, like very similar in our own journeys mm-hmm. didn't have maybe this crazy epiphany at a party like you but started to realize mm, who am i outside of mm-hmm. surfing who am i outside of this and started realizing get so much joy and fulfillment out of sharing my story out of trying to be that spark for other people to realize oh, i don't have to be in this mindset of i need achievement to feel mm-hmm. fulfilled which is how we both did, but and at times we had achievements, so we got that fulfillment. But then it's like it's so unsustainable, and it's like I felt the same through my last couple of years of surfing, and hopefully I, I feel like I did say this to you before you went over for your last um, World Cups. Mm. Maybe I told you this, maybe I didn't, but I kind of said like for years I almost didn't enjoy it because I put so much pressure on myself. But then the like last year or two, I was like. I'm traveling the world, getting to do the thing that I wanted to do so much as a kid. I'm mm. just going to really enjoy it. Just mm. like be grateful for the moment and enjoy the experience, enjoy the people, enjoy the cultures that I'm in, mm. the community that I've built because it's not going to be here forever. So those last couple of years, instead of thinking, oh, I'm not quite there, I just enjoyed the experience. Mm. And it seemed like watching you on your last trip through social media, a lot of the content you put out, you had a few crashes, but you kind of still did it with like the vulnerability to be honest when you had that and like didn't let it get you fully down you kind of laughed your way through it and is that how it felt a little bit yeah there's like a few things because and then you but then you're balancing sponsorship where they're like we want you to do well and like you're thinking they want me to do well but maybe they're not really like there's so many things that you're trying to do it i just don't like letting people down Mm. and i know obviously you're sponsored writing to your potential too exactly and like i don't 
like I've got a mechanic, there's a filmer there, there's my obviously my whole team, there's so many people that put effort in and the result's a good way to like show the return of what they're mm. putting in. So when I don't do my job of getting the result, I feel like I'm letting them down and that's yeah. the thing that plays on me. But even like, even now, like I didn't qualify at the last race, I like had a crash or whatever and normally the next day I'd be like so angry and so down and like, oh my God, and like think oh, I'll do this and that and everything. And it, that didn't really hit me like it used to. Like, it was like, oh, it's all good mm. kind of thing. And I'm like, that is a sign to me that I'm like, okay, maybe... This isn't it anymore. This isn't it anymore. And I don't, like I said, I don't want to let people down. And the sport that you're in too is fucking dangerous. If you're not all in, it's like, woof. That's where the mistakes probably start coming and the crashes start <laughs> happening. Well, it's funny you say that. Like, I was at this race in Austria for a World Cup. And, like, I've been kind of questioning what the future looks like for me and everything. And I was going up in the gondola for a run... And I was literally in the gondola thinking like, oh, is this my last year? Like, is it? And then I was thinking, well, if it is, the la- the race at the end of the year would be the first World Cup I ever qualified for. I've got my best result there. I'm like, that's kind of a cool story to like end on that. Mm. I'm thinking this as I'm going to race my bike, literally drop in, crash in the first 15 meters, like yeah. pretty bad. I'm like, kind of get up and I'm like, well, like that makes sense. But that's the, like, I'm subconsciously, I'm not mm. in it. And I'm like, that's when it becomes dangerous because I'm like, even though if you're like, oh, I'll just enjoy it, but your mind's elsewhere and you're riding at speeds of 50 to 60 Ks over rocks and stuff. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. And it's hard. It's kind of the way I felt, very different circumstance. But the way that I look at it now is like, if I didn't get to like that top 10, top 20 in the world when I was putting 100% in, mm. how can I expect to get there when I'm only putting 80? But then you get also that balance of like, yeah, sometimes when you let go, it comes. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one, and it's something that a lot of athletes, I think, struggle with, but I feel like you're in a place, at least, to have the awareness of kind of how you're feeling and work out strategies to take those steps forward. So mm-hmm. I guess that's the last little question I'm going to ask you. What's what's coming up? What, what are you looking forward to over the next 12 months? I know you're back home for a month right now, mm-hmm. going to head back over to race the back end of the season, but, yeah, what, um, what are you excited for? Well, obviously, like, I don't want to, like, fade away. Like, I want to go out with... Like, I want to, like, I want to leave on my terms. Mm. Like, you don't think anyone ever wants to, especially as a professional athlete, be like, I'd rather turn the ride down than not have the ride. Does mm. that make sense? So, that's something that, I, like, the job's not done. Like, I still want to get over and do my best and I don't want to, like, just give up and be like, oh, well, this isn't for me anymore because I don't think that's fair on the people that support mm. me. But then, it's I think it's, yeah, it's probably going to be a transitional phase of my life and going into something new and... Like I, I was talking to a guy the other day that had, had been, he's been a part of my racing since I started racing when I was like 12 and he was, he like asked me, he's like, oh, I've been seeing some of your stuff. Like are you kind of thinking about retiring? And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, I'm not too sure. I'm kind of up in the air with it all at the moment. He's like, oh, that's really sad. And I'm like, it isn't, it isn't like change isn't, mm. it doesn't have to, like I'm very content and I'm happy with what I've achieved in this sport. Like I've gone up above and beyond my dreams of like where mm. I thought I could be. So there's so much happiness and stuff to take away from that. But it's just like, I don't believe you should just do something because you're good at it. I mm. believe you should do something because it's like, it, it keeps you up at night. It, it makes your brain think about how to do it better. It like it, it pulls you into it. And I feel like I'm like pushing myself into racing at the moment where yeah. other things are kind of pulling me into it. Like, for example, when I do like a, a podcast or interview someone at the races, I'm like, I'm thinking about how I speak. I'm thinking about this. Like there's investment and enjoyment in that. And I get a lot out of it. When I ride, I'm just kind of like just riding because yeah. it's what I should do. And I think that's one of the things I think you 
no matter what it is, if you're, and I always say this to people, and I kind of like need to like take, take my own words and use them. But like, if you're not doing something that doesn't, you're not passionate about, that doesn't drive you properly and like get you excited and wakes you up in the morning, then like, what are you doing? Mm. And it's like how, and because of the job that I guess it's like, oh, but look at like where you get to go and look at all these things. And from the outside, you're like, yeah, it looks really cool. But also I've done it for like 12, yeah. 12 years. It's like, how is it, how is me going in a job that's like really exciting to you any different than me looking at your job and mm. saying like, well, that looks really cool. Yeah. But like, I've never done it. You've never done what I've done. It's like, yeah, it's so yeah. hard to relate to two different worlds when... And as well, I bet you probably feel that little bit of guilt of like, well, I'm still good enough to be racing in the top 30 races in the world yeah. and to give it up, it's like, you feel like you're almost ripping off the hundred guys behind you who wish they had your skill to yeah. get there. But it's like, you got to live your own life too. And yeah understand who you are and what you need and it sounds like you're in a pretty good place with that mm. and i want to explore man like a thing that was so attractive to the racing world cups when i started was you get to go around the world someone else is going to pay for your ticket you're going to see all these incredible places no, that you've you... been to that same place you used to do the same circuit every year yeah feeling with surfing yeah. like when we got to austria like went to the same hotel ate the same food saw the same people and I hate saying it and like it's not this, complaining, it's just it's bringing just, it's to being light. realistic, it's, yeah. yeah. It's like, and that to me, it's like, I can go, like the next race I go to, I can see where I'm going to go. I can see who I'm going to talk to. I can see like the small mm. talk. I can, like, there's not that many elements of excitement that come mm. into it where I'm someone that like, I'm, I love experience. Like, I love new experiences in new places, whether they be hard or easy or whatever they are. But like, I... Like something that I love doing is being in a random place with people I've never met before doing something I've never done before. Mm. Like that to me is such an attractive thing where with the racing, it's like you kind of, it's all played out. Yeah. And I think when something's played out, it takes away so much of that excitement. Even for example, like last year I did pretty well at the last race and it was more like relief than excitement. Mm. It was like, I'm feel relieved that I'm, I've done this for the sponsors and people that have helped me, but yeah. I don't feel that excited about my own thing. So it's like all these little things that keep happening and like being self-aware enough to actually view them and be like, okay, why is this happening? Yeah. And like, what do I want to get out of that? But yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to travel. Like I said, with my podcast, I do like a, a goal of mine now. And like, I want to go to some, cause it, oh, the, it's called off track experience. And like, part of that is like, I want to go off the beaten track to interview people in random or like re- remote places in the world. Like I'd love to be in like a, the middle of Tibet or something in like a monastery or something talking to some guy about like fulfillment and happiness and why he like what he gets out of life and just having a backpack and I've hiked for like a day to get to like something like that to me is like I find that really cool and honestly if you like the money thing out of the way like just doing that I think would be really like yeah. fulfilling cool experience and then if you could put that into a podcast and sell it and people would be interested to listen then it's like oh it's a benefit but yeah. I don't think you do anything for money I think you do something because it's a passion you love it and then if you get so good at it then someone will pay you to do it mm-hmm. but then also with that it's like that you need to survive to <laughs> exactly like, exactly but I always tell people it's it's funny how like be careful what passion you make a job mm-hmm. because no matter what it is it's going to take away from how you feel about that thing yeah like riding was everything to me and then it became a, a job yeah. surfing kind of similar thing so even the certain things are it's like I'll I'll do like I do a bit of photography now, and sometimes people be like, "Oh, you take really good photos." Like, I got a friend like he might like. I'm like, oh, I kind of want that for yeah. you know when you want your thing that no one else can like yeah, yeah. tarnish or change or mm. or put their opinion. You're like, this is my thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and then like just look after. You that. get paid for it. It opens it up for judgment. <laughs> exactly. It's like yeah. you want to nurture your your thing, and I think 
like you you don't know how you're going to react to it until you until it happens mm-hmm. and i never knew about that with riding like i thought like like i said when you're the dog chasing the car it's the best thing in the world mm. and then someone starts paying you and then you suddenly like oh i have to ride now yeah and that for me personally that made it a lot harder than i thought it would be that was something that no one ever would like brace you for mm. be like hey like you're about to become a professional like you're going to get money like that's going to change how well how you view it, yeah. yeah. How I viewed it anyway, and I'm sure... It was like especially because it came a bit older for you. Like, I was getting paid from, like, 16, so it was kind of, like, felt normal from quite a young age, whereas it sounds like once you got it, it's like, oh, here Dude, I am. Like, first year I became a professional, worst year of racing I ever yeah. had. 2016, when I signed with Intense Factory Racing, I hated it. I had the worst... I just didn't mm. even want to ride my bike. I remember training and just being like... I don't know, it just changed my mindset. I was like, I don't know if I want, like... I felt like I, I honestly like the dog, dog chasing the car that's the best analogy I can come up with because it's like you want that thing you yeah, want it and yeah. then you get it and you're like shit yeah, what do I do, do now yeah. yeah that's interesting yeah. well man it's been fucking incredible getting to hear your story learn more about your childhood and um, I feel like it's going to strengthen our friendship a lot it's going to allow us to build in our connection which I think is a great example for anyone out there listening sit down with a friend, put your phones on airplane mode and just ask them a few questions. Let my podcast be a bit of a blueprint for how you do it. Go, let's rewind to the start. Tell me what your upbringing was like. Mm. What do I need to know about your childhood that shaped a bit who you are? And you can learn so much from your friends, exactly like I have today with you. It's um, been incredible. Thank you so much for being so open, sharing, being vulnerable and um, yeah, sharing those times that are hard in the benefit for other people and showing that your story can yeah really inspire people to get through those tough days and yeah persevere and show that there is light and the other side of the pendulum i guess to put it in your words but man um the last question i do ask everyone on this podcast is the same and i'm excited to hear what you say to this so what does being a good human mean to dean lucas i think being a good human it just means i think every everyone and everything around you seems to become better like it just it's like this flow on effect it's like I think if you can become a good person and like you just suddenly become this light that helps other people see more do more be more and people gravitate to it people like it just becomes this like that whole thing is like life just becomes a lot easier mm-hmm. and like I think like calm is a real thing and being a good person is a good thing and I think don't be a good person for 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 any other reason besides it feels good but then from that feeling good so many other avenues will open up doors will open up people will come into your life things will happen that you don't even understand why it's happening but it just will and just use that momentum in your life in any way you can i think but and just try and just like stay positive like there's so much negativity gets thrown around everywhere that people seem to want to attach to and it's like trying to attach yourself more to like someone being positive like like a thing now i try and do all the time if i see just like something that i think looks nice whether it be like the other day it was like this person was wearing some overalls i thought was cool i'm like oh that's really cool like just give out like see something say something yeah and it was funny because i said that to this girl and then i was at the beach and this girl's like oh i really like your tattoos and it was just like it was just because no one's really ever come up to me and said that, but it was just funny the same day that I gave out something, it came back in a way. Mm. And I think it's just that thing about being a good person because it feels good, but then we'll flow on and just everything works better. So yeah, I think just being a good human, just it just helps your entire life in every different avenue you do. Mate, bloody love it. Well, 
thank you so much for jumping on. Where can anyone find you? I will leave it all in the show notes. Anything you want to plug? Any? Yeah, you got your YouTube channel. You got your podcast. You got your social media. I'll have all that in the show notes. Be anything you want to plug or any last little bits of wisdom you want to leave the audience with. Uh, if you want to find me, I guess, yeah, Dinos Mykonos. No connection with Mykonos whatsoever. People always ask me if I'm from there, just like a friend used to call me that, so that's my Insta. Trying to do the YouTube thing, yeah, Dean Lucas, just on YouTube, trying to put more content and stuff out on there, and the off-track experience is the podcast I run, so trying to grow that and travel around and interview more cool people. and Yeah, just like similar to yourself, just like spread a good message to be a good person and what you get out of that is so so beneficial like I think like I said before so many of us like there's always something negative to hold on to and then I think that people don't understand the effect that has not only on themselves but everyone around them Mm. like if you're someone that like I always like for racing for example when someone has a bad result and they come back to your pits or like at surfing something and they come back and they just like this energy shift that comes into a group of people when someone's down can be flipped on its head and you can be that light that comes in and lifts everyone up and it's just a small thing and I guess like we know from competitive sports it's this like a roller coaster of emotions where you're like happy sad happy sad but it's just like if you can just be a good person and not put the result down to where you find your happiness then like everything's all good mm, just like enjoy. living by those values being a good human and find our happiness through that but man mm. thanks so much for jumping on it's been an absolute pleasure for, yeah jumping on good humans podcast easy glad we got there finally got, I know, got it done finally got there dean, <laughs> dean lucas ladies and gentlemen peace guys you ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.